Hey everyone, welcome to Blue Features Podcast, Stride, Organizing with Purpose, where we showcase the incredible work and voices of progressive, young, motivated organizers and leaders. Each week we will bring to you their stories from all across the country. These people are working hard to make our world a more free and just place. If you or someone you know might be interested in chatting with us, send us a message on Instagram at Blue Future Now. Thanks for listening. Welcome to the Blue Future Stride podcast. I'm Morgan Starr, and I'm so happy to be back hosting with my co-president, Nick Guthman. Nick, how are you doing today? Hey, Morgan. It's great to be back. It's been a little while since we've been on the Stride podcast, uh, not for lack of content, but for the expansion of the team, and really grateful to be with you and to all of our listeners. Thanks for tuning in to another Stride podcast, Organizing with Purpose. Uh, excited to introduce our special guest. Yes, we are really excited. I know it's great. It's great to be back. We're ready to have an awesome conversation. Today we have Dustin Wall. Dustin is a campaign associate right now at Fix Our House, and we are so excited to have him on the show. Dustin, how are you doing today? Great. Yeah, super, super excited to be here. I think it's awesome what y'all are doing. So excited for this conversation. Yeah, we're excited to have you. And you know, Dustin, I think the best place to start is really telling us a little bit about who you are. Where are you from? How did you get in this role? And really what brought you to the podcast today? Yeah, so... um so I grew up in uh, Sioux Falls, South Dakota. Uh, spent the first 18 years of my life there, and grew up in a, in a honestly in a really politically conservative environment. I was really interested in politics in high school and kind of became passionate about it. At that point, more from a conservative perspective, I ended up going to Liberty University in Virginia when I when I was 18. That that's yeah, that's where I wanted to go. It's a, it's like a politically connected conservative school, and so um, so I started there in 2014. The 2016 election had. <laughs> As as on a lot of people, it had profound impacts on on my life in in terms of what I believe personally and uh, and a lot of other things too. And so at, at while at Liberty, I you know my my political beliefs started to to change quite a bit, and I had the opportunity to 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 get involved in some activism. There, I started an organization of some students and. Uh, alumni to push back on on what this what the school's leadership was doing. Uh, the school's president was a big endorsement of Donald Trump, um, and so we created this organization to kind of represent voices at at and around the school who disagreed and, and thought that was a bad idea. And then after graduating, I started a, a kind of similar organization of alumni to try to better represent, you know, the student and alumni community and and honestly to try to to change the leadership of the school and get the president fired. The president of the school was fired, but not thanks to us, thanks to other <laughs> corrupt bad things he was doing. But all told that's kind of how I, I I first got involved in kind of the reform space was in that little corner of 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 the world at at Liberty University, and it taught me a lot of lessons that maybe you know we can get into it a little bit. But it did lead kind of indirectly into the work that I'm doing now, which is different in a lot of ways, but but similar in that it's it's a reform that's trying to better represent diverse voices that I think are, are sometimes taken advantage of by their by their leaders. Um, you know, personally, now I'm on the political left, but uh, Fix Our House is an organization that's nonpartisan. We're we're trying to bring about 
uh, reform for our democracy that that I think is better for for the whole country and and represents all voices equally. A uh, system called proportional representation that I'm sure we'll talk about here shortly. But that's kind of how my my background led led into the work that I'm doing now. That's great. Thanks for sharing all of that. And you may be our first guest from South Dakota, so congratulations. <laughs> but you mentioned some lessons learned about your experience at Liberty, and I wonder if you can tell us a little bit more about that, particularly in the context of how young folks can take up the mantle of leadership, the, the courage, the confidence that it takes to be able to do so. It seems like you figured that out. You, you found a way to develop a sense of agency to take action on something that you were upset about or that you didn't feel good about. So can you tell us a little more about that? I mean, that's the hardest thing <laughs> is starting, I think, is is taking the initiative. But I think what I'd say is that like, if you're in a situation where you think that that your leaders are doing something wrong or, or, or your your views are changing and you find yourself in a place that is no longer at all representative of what you believe. I, I think that organizing and reform work starts with just using your voice, you know, at a very basic level saying, saying as, as articulately as you can what you believe, what you believe is wrong, what you believe should be different. More organizational reform can come out of that. You know, the groups I started in college didn't, you know, appear overnight. We didn't, my friends and I didn't have a conversation about like, Hey, let's, let's start a campaign or let's start a group. It, it started because there were a bunch of people that, that agreed that a lot of things were wrong and needed to be addressed. And so the groups were kind of created organically out of that. And then I guess the second thing that just comes to mind right away that I would say is that reform and change and activism are not binary projects. I think it can be one of the most depressing things when you're in you know the kind of situation that I think we all find ourselves in with with our politics or or maybe a more specific situation like like mine at Liberty um, is feeling like things can't change you know feeling like uh, the the situation the status quo is stuck and uh, and of course in many ways it is but reform is not a binary project where the only options are total success or total failure and um, just using your voice and just getting started um, and organizing the best you can in, in whatever context you find yourself is, is the first step and will lead to all kinds of things that you can't necessarily predict, you know. So, so that's, that's what I think I would, I would say uh, is, is one of the most important lessons I learned. And it is something helpful in the work I do now. You know, I think that Fix Our House's goals, which I know we'll get into, they're not going to be realized uh, next week or next year. It's a long, it's a long project and just doing, doing reform work that kind of gets the conversation uh, going about, about um, a more representative government, a, 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 you know, more equal democracy um, that, that having those conversations is good and really important in and of itself even if it doesn't lead directly immediately to the kind of system that you want to see right away. Wow. Thanks for sharing all of that, Dustin. I find it really interesting that as a young person, you all found the courage and really the bravery to stand up to the president of your university, which is, of course, as we all know, such a big power structure. And I think that's one of the things we love about doing this work at Blue Future. We are always so 
amazed by the things young people can accomplish. So we'd love to hear a little bit more about how you found, you know, the courage to kind of stand up to this power structure and also, you know, kind of how that led you into uh, Fix Our House. That's a super good question. I, I would start by saying that, like, I, I was lucky to have really good friends in, in college and and uh, without without a supportive group around you, you know, you wouldn't be able to do most of what you can accomplish. But I think also it was, I remember one of the conversations that we had a lot in college was that, you know, when you're in kind of a, a bubbled off environment, it can be really easy to forget that the world outside of that bubble exists, you know, that that the conversation that you're hearing in the room that you're in is not the only conversation and that there are voices that aren't being properly represented in you know, in your conversation that would have a lot to say about it. And so it was helpful to be reading people from, you know, from outside the university, reading, um, you know, leaders and, and uh, other people that were kind of going through the same, the same issues in that early part of the Trump era. And just, just realizing and constantly trying to remind yourself that like, as, as lonely as it could sometimes feel to be in a, a, a kind of a weird minority in college, there were a lot of people outside of, of that, that small community there that, that really did agree and, and were supportive. And that made, that made it a lot easier. And, and we did get support from people outside the school that, that wanted to help. And so I've always been thankful for that. Yeah. Then in terms of how it leads into, to fix our house, the work I'm doing now, um, I talked a little bit about, uh, how I guess one through line is, is that all voices deserve better representation. You know, at Liberty, you had a situation where the school's president was kind of, seeing his uh, role there as a, a way to enrich himself and to empower himself and other conservative politicians and, and leaders that would come in. And, uh, you know, and, and by the way, to be fair, like there were there were plenty of conservatives, too, that had had serious problems with with President Falwell and his his leadership there. So not trying to paint with a broad brush by any means. But I, I felt that uh, leaders kind of treating students as a platform to stand on uh, was really wrong. And I think we see that in politics too today. You have leaders who who see their constituents, the people that they're supposed to represent, as just a platform for power. And they're not really interested in actually serving their communities. Um, they're just interested in kind of the bullhorn that their office gives them. Not not all representatives by any means, but we have a system right now that encourages and incentivizes that kind of political representation. And I think that a proportional system like what Fix Our House is advocating would create um, a, a playing field where uh, politicians, parties aren't as incentivized to to kind of... Um, you know, prey on their on their own supporters, if that makes sense. It makes perfect sense. I think another question I would have is like, what's the how? How do do you do that? And how does your work in Fix Our House advocate for more proportional representation? I think that's uh, something that we'd love to dive in on. Yeah, that is that is the key question for sure. I've kind of been bouncing around it, but yeah. So so proportional representation that the concept is just a system where a political party's amount of the support, a political party's amount of the vote is equal to its amount of representation in Congress, um, which sounds like a very basic uh, ideal that, that we should, our politics should aspire to, but that's not really the reality today. Part of the reason that is, is that we conduct our elections in these winner-take-all single-member districts in the House of Representatives. So today, 
there's 435 representatives in Congress. All of them are elected in one in, in, in a district where they're the only representative for the whole district. We want a system where every district has multiple representatives so that they can be elected proportionally. And so I'll, I'll explain that a little bit with a couple examples. If you look at a state like Oklahoma today, Oklahoma has five representatives. They're all Republicans. And you'd think, well, sure, Oklahoma is a conservative state. That makes sense that they would all be Republicans. But about a third of Oklahoma voted for Biden in 2020. And about a third of the state is pretty consistently Democratic. Those Democrats should have about a third uh, of their state's representatives in Congress, but they don't make up a majority in any one of those five districts. And so they never have a chance to you know, receive equal representation in Washington, D.C. Same is true in a state like Arkansas. There's four, four representatives there. They're all Republicans. Democrats make up about a third of the state. No chance of representation. The same is true actually in a state like Massachusetts, but the opposite. You know, The Democrats, there's nine districts there. They're all Democrats. Republicans proportionally should have more say in that delegation than they do, but they don't make up a majority in any one district. And so they don't have a chance at power. So if we elected representatives in larger districts with multiple representatives each, with a rule for proportionality, if your party gets 20% of the vote, you would get roughly 20% of the seats. If you got 60% of the vote, you get roughly 60% of the seats. Whereas right now in this in this winner-take-all, first-past-the-post system, if you win with 51% of the vote, you win 100% of the seat because there's only one seat. So, you know, it, you, you have to get the whole thing. Uh, and, and your opponent who got 49% gets nothing. You know, to some people that sounds fair because it's like, well, sure, I mean, you know, 51% is more than 49 and so they should get the seat. But that's a pretty clumsy way to do democracy, especially when, you know, 49, 51, they're, they're pretty much the same. Like that's about half. A, a more proportional system just represents people more fairly. It's it's just a more democratic way of, of doing elections. Um, and it's made possible by moving to larger multi-member districts. And we, we can talk about in a lot more detail if you want kind of what that means and how it could how it could look and how we could get there but one really important point is that there's a lot of there's a lot of really good reforms that we could do to to you know to kind of fix our our broken democratic system but this is this is one that doesn't require changing the constitution um, the Constitution, Article 1, Section 4, allows Congress to change how Congress is elected. So you can do this with just simple legislation. And that's, that's a reason why I think this would, be, uh, this would be a huge change in our politics that would allow more diverse representation. You'd have uh, more Democrats getting elected in places like Oklahoma and Arkansas. You'd have different kinds of Republicans getting elected in places like Massachusetts. And you'd have an ability for third parties to form around the country. You know, two thirds of Americans say that they want more political parties, that they don't feel represented in this two party system. And I think a lot of Democrats would say, even if they're satisfied with the Democratic Party, they would like more options simply because they don't see the Republican Party as an option at all. So they kind of only do have one option, you know, in general elections, which is the Democrat. And there are certainly Republicans that would say the opposite thing, too. So so that's kind of that's that's what the reform is uh, and, and why we think it's important and could have could have great impacts on our on our politics. Thanks for sharing all of that. I think this is something that a lot of people, or at least the average American, doesn't really necessarily fully understand how it works. Um, I, you know, I work in this space, and I don't always see these implications and kind of the far-reaching impacts. 
of the way our members of Congress are elected. Have you found in your work that there has been some sort of motivation towards this idea of proportional representation in specific districts? And if so, you know, what are those districts and and what really gets people excited about this issue? That's a great question. So there has been a lot of positive movement in the in the wider democracy reform space over the last few years, and specifically in the in the pro proportional representation space. Just in the last year, two hundred political scientists wrote a, a letter to Congress this last fall, calling calling on Congress to adopt pr- proportional representation. We've seen, you know, our our co founder. Uh, Fixer House Lee Drutman testified on Capitol Hill about this this last year. So there's there's definitely growing interest in this idea that you know most most democracies use proportional system. The the U.S. is is one of a few that's kind of an outlier that doesn't. And and we've seen we've seen growth and in, in more interest in it uh, just recently. I think because people are looking at at our broken democracy and just seeing it's not working. We're not able we're not able to pass major legislation on some issues that that a lot of people agree on, and and we're not able to get anything done in Washington. So, uh, so we have seen growth in that. The city of Portland in Oregon just adopted proportional representation for their city council this last November. So that's really exciting. But states can't begin adopting this reform themselves right now. Um, and so that's our big legislative focus is there's this law, not, not going to get too technical to talk about old, old uh, legalese, but there's this old law from, from the 60s that, that bans multi-member districts that requires that states use only single member districts to send people to Congress. And so that law would have to be repealed. And if, if it was, then states could start doing this themselves. And I think you've seen you know, again, a, a growth in kind of the democracy reform space recently. And so I think that if we were able to get that law repealed, um, there would be, you know, a lot of excitement around this. This is the Stride Podcast. We're going to take a short break. We'll be right back. Thanks for listening to the Stride Podcast today. We wanted to remind you that tomorrow, May 16th, is election day in many states. In states like Arizona, Colorado, Florida, Georgia, Kentucky, New Hampshire, New York, Oregon, and Pennsylvania, there are municipal elections happening. It is so important to vote in our local elections because at the local level is where our politics matter most. Please go to vote.org to find your polling place and information about how to vote. Happy voting. Hey, welcome back, everyone. Uh, Today, we're on with Dustin Wall from Fix Our House and having a really kind of political science heavy conversation about how we can fix our house, fix our democracy and make sure that all voices get the representation they deserve. So, Dustin, as we come back from the break, I wonder if you can talk to us a little bit more about the organization's theory of change and how you all see this work uh, as um, something that that is possible and something that will have a real impact uh, in the everyday lives of people in our country and around the world. That's a, a super important question. I mean, we don't think that that this is is going to happen uh, immediately. Honestly, it, it can be easy to get discouraged because you see how little action there is on Capitol Hill, inability to legislate on things like you know climate or, or gun safety that have a lot of widespread support nationally. But in, in some ways, you know, I mean, if, if you were to ask most Americans, like, do you think that things in general are, are getting better or getting worse? Do you think that our, our democracy is getting better and healthier or getting worse? I think most people would, would say getting worse. Uh, in a way, that's obviously really worrying. In another way, there's kind of a silver lining of hope there, I think, because the system I don't think can remain where it is 
right now. I, I don't think we'll continue on in discussion like this for you know forever. I don't. I don't think fifty years from now we'll be on the the blue past podcast uh, talking about <laughs> the last fifty years of the same old dysfunction and inability to do anything that there's a breaking point um and there will probably become there will probably be windows for for change and reform that open as as you know things kind of come to a head in our our um, democratic dysfunction so that's that's both kind of a a cynical answer and and i think a hope-filled one um because uh, i think that that a window of reform will open and we want proportional representation to kind of be set up as a go-to reform that uh, that politicians are familiar with, that political media is familiar with, um, and that that also you know people around the country are familiar with already, so that that we know what this reform can do, and we can move into this better, proportional, more more equitable system. I'll say too that that Lee Drutman, our, our co-founder, has written about how change happens in history, um, and that there's these kind of like sixty-year cycles. Um, about every generation or so, or every every lifetime or so, there's there's a window for change that opens. There's kind of the the American founding era where all that all that chaos is happening, and then there's the Civil War and, and the, the Civil War amendments afterwards that that create the beginnings of of a, a, a little bit more uh, equality uh, in representation, and then there's the Progressive Era around the turn of the century. Where a lot of reform happens, the 1960s, where there's the Civil Rights Amend, uh, Civil Rights Act, and the the Voting Rights Act. And if you you know if you look at your calendar, we're we're about due for one. Um, it's been it's been 60 years, and uh, and and it makes sense that with with everything happening in our democracy right now, that there's a growing there's there's certainly growing frustration, there's growing cynicism, um, and there's there's certainly growing desire for change. Um, and so we think that that all that can combine in a way. In the in the future, that that could really be helpful for bringing this kind of thing about. Yeah, I, I completely agree. I think there really is that appetite for change, and people are are hungry to see see the difference in in our world. And that kind of leads me to our next question: What do you see as as the future of Fixer House, but also you know, really, I guess, the future for you in this work as well? We are are hoping that that legislation can be can be introduced soon like uh, this congress to to begin the conversation about repealing this this law which makes proportional representation impossible right now um, so that's kind of a, a near-term uh, hope and, and goal for us. We're excited to be keeping the conversation going about proportional representation, trying to to lay more groundwork for this to be well understood in in communities like like this one, you know, where we're having these conversations about what does the future of America look like in five, ten, you know, twenty years, and uh, and it makes me optimistic every time we have that kind of conversation with people because there seems to be fairly widespread agreement that things need to change and that our generation isn't going to to tolerate just the dysfunctional status quo. You know, I I this is potentially cheesy and, and controversial, but I'm gonna quote Hamilton to <laughs> even if it's controversial, I like it. So I there's this I always think of this like line from in Hamilton where like Jefferson was just elected president and he's having this conversation with someone about this law that they don't like. And he says, you know what, we can change that. You know why? Because I'm the president, and I think about that sometimes as it relates to like democracy. Um, that that in theory we all should kind of be able to say that there's this problem in the world. We can change that. 
because we live in a democracy. And so in theory, we're supposed to be able to organize and you know form a coalition large enough to do something about it, to bring about change. And right now, certainly doesn't feel like we can say that, but I don't think our generation will tolerate the the inability to to bring about change on anything. I think that five, 10, 20 years down the road, there there will be breaking points where our generation says, no, we're 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 gonna we're gonna take action. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I really resonate with the 60, 60 year cycle sweeping change and that we are due and that it's on the horizon. And yet we, the the people, are the ones who will make it happen. We the organizers are the ones who will make it happen. We those of us who are engaged and who are willing to step up and, and take action on the things that we care about are, are going to make it happen. It's a lot though, it's hard, it's difficult. So one question we like to ask our guests on the podcast is how do you find time to rest and recharge and what does that look like for you? Yeah, I think that I think that's great that you ask people that because it's not, I, I feel like it used to be the cool thing to do to kind of burn yourself out and just like work yourself into the ground. And that's not cool. It's not healthy and not good for anyone and, and makes you worse at your, at your work, I think. So yeah, I, I, uh, I love, you know, I, I hobbies, <laughs> I think would be the answer. I love live music. Uh, I love running big baseball fan, um, stuff like that. So yeah, just getting time to, to hang out and relax and not, not be focused on, on on the doom and gloom constantly is is really healthy and helpful. We completely agree. Sometimes you really just have to take take a step back and really fill your soul with those activities that bring you joy. Uh, so happy to hear that you make time for that because I, I really do think it's it's critical if we want to stay in this work for the long haul, which we know we have to. It takes change takes time. And as I'm sure you know, the core of really what Blue Future does is teaching and training young people about organizing. It is our theory of change about how we we make the world a better place. So we would love to hear in your words, what does organizing mean to you? I would say I think it's helping people maximize their power, helping people who have ideas and concerns articulate those things and know where and how to articulate them. And so in, in very like practical ways, that can look like learning and knowing how to how to get connected with local media or national media on a given subject um, to get that kind of attention or knowing how your institution works. Like, again, I, I started my, my reform work in college and um, learning how the administration worked, learning how kind of the place worked institutionally was really helpful and important. And then being able to share that now with, with younger people that are there is, is I think a way that from a distance uh, is is a, a really helpful form of organizing. I love it. Helping people maximize their power. That is the role of an organizer and um, believing in ourselves and knowing that we are we are capable beyond our own belief often to affect change in our community and in this world. Our, our last question for you today and something we've asked every guest thus far is what would the world look like and what would it feel like if it was truly a free world? I think all... All voices would be equally represented in a in a in a freer country and world. There's, you know, we're always going to have conflict. We'll always have politics, which is just the managing of conflict, and it'll always be hard. So, you know, I, I don't I don't believe that there's kind of a utopian system that we'll get to at least not in the next few generations um, that that solves everything. But I 
we can we can make a more equitable, more equal, more representative system where all voices are are equally represented and, and have an equal shot to impact what their government and leadership is doing. We agree that that is the world we are building towards here at Blue Future, making sure that specifically for us, young people's voices are heard, but really all voices are heard and uh, have the opportunity to make change and maximize their power, like you said. Dustin, it has been so wonderful to have you on the show today. We really learned a lot and are excited about the work you're doing. So thank you so much for joining us. Before we let you go, is there anything that you'd like to shout out? Maybe if you want to share uh, the Fix Our House website with all of us, that would be great. Yeah, definitely. I would say listen, keep listening to Blue Future. But I, yeah, I'd also say, yeah, you can go to fixourhouse.org sign up for our our email list we'll keep you in the loop there you can reach out if you're if you're interested in learning more or figuring out how you can help you can also follow us on social media twitter facebook uh, instagram you can check us out there as well awesome well thank you again dustin for joining us we are the stride podcast we'll see you next time thanks for listening to the stride podcast today we would like to thank eli silverman lloyd for the music for our podcast And our podcast is produced in-house by the Blue Future team. If you are interested in joining a future episode or learning more about our work, please send us an email at hello at ourbluefuture.us. We'll see you next time. Thank you.